Get ready, Avalanche Territory. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans. Denver Sports is your home for the most Avalanche content. Now here's your host, Mike Evans. Hello again, everyone, and welcome into the Mile High Hockey Podcast, our first episode of 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. We hope you have a year full of satisfying avalanche hockey. And joining me now to talk about whether or not that resolution will come true is my pal Matt Smith, who is uh, lockstep with me as we uh, went along all the way to the Stanley Cup. It was miraculous, but uh, at least right now, Matt, those days seem like a distant memory as this team continues to grind through the regular season can you come up with a different word other than it feels like a grind right now? Happy New Year, first of all. Boy, heavy sigh. That was a foreboding. Yeah, that was yeah. a foreboding sigh right there. Ye of little faith. <laughs> I do believe it is a grind. I do believe it is a grind. I am not as concerned as your average bear because I still think that when healthy, this is the best team in the NHL. But right now, it's certainly been a grind because you're talking about a lot of guys having to step up and carry more responsibility than they're used to. And certainly, it, it, it's kind of a, a blow to the old morale and you know some wind out of your sails when you hear the newest updates about Gabriel Landeskog being nowhere close and Bo Byram expected to return before the end of the regular season. Obviously, that's a big concern as well. So, you know, I, I think there's there, there are things to be fairly concerned about. But overall, as long as you're talking about these guys being healthy for the playoffs, this team will make the playoffs. They're two points out of a playoff spot right now at the last wild card spot. They will make that up. And they have games in hand on folks in their division who are above them, like Dallas and I think Winnipeg. So, you look, look, I mean, they need to start to play better hockey, but at the same time, I think you've got about another month here to float where you are right now. And by the beginning of February, you're going to hope to have Manson back. You're going to hope to have Nachushkin back. And apparently Rodriguez got banged up the other night. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But as long as you can get Val back, as long as you can get Manson back, as long as Gabe does eventually make his way back, then I do think that they're okay. I mean, as long as you get in the dance, if you're healthy by the time you get in the dance, I'm not worried about it, really. But is there any concern that, yes, I'm with you. We assume, hey, when these guys come back, but we have seen some examples of expecting guys to come back, getting them back, but then having a bit of a setback again. You know, saw it with Nachuskin, and we've seen it with Landy. Is is there any concern that, hey, we're going to be looking at some of these um, – stop and starts here with guys as they, they come back and we're never going to be confident that they're going to be back for good. That doesn't concern me. I understand why you would be concerned there. I mean, we certainly just saw that with Nachushkin, but as long as, you know, he gets the medical okay and he's cleared, I think the only concern to me with all of that, and, and I think it's fair, is Nachushkin's foot injury. I think back to Peter Forsberg and what really ruined the back half of his career was horrible foot injuries, especially for a big power forward. And, you know, you got, you got your foot really laced tight in that boot, and there's so much pressure on it that really you never experience that type of 
pressure on your foot unless you're not skating. And clearly, we, we all know how how badly he injured his foot during the playoff run. So I would say from that perspective, Nachushkin's probably the only one that concerns me a little bit. But he's back skating already. So we'll see what happens there. Maybe maybe there was a little bit of a setback. And, you know, I, look, that I guess it's fair to have that concern. I just think that overall, based upon track record, you know, the guys who have been out of the lineup have been out of the lineup for a little bit of time now, and I imagine that they're waiting and being smart about it, certainly after Nachushkin came back, had a setback, and then went out again. But good news that he's skating again. And like I said, you know, I think it also opens up some other avenues. If you have to put Gabriel Landeskog on long-term injured reserve, that removes his cap hit, then you can really go wheel and deal at the deadline. So I, I, I am... There are reasons to be optimistic, but, you know, I, I think reasonable minds can understand that when you're playing with half an AHL team every single night, then, yeah, you're going to have some bumps in the road. And quite frankly, I'm impressed that they have the record that they have, considering the fact that there were nights when they were playing seven to eight minor league guys in the lineup. Yeah, you look at where they're at right now, and as we speak, they're only one point out of the second wild card spot, the final playoff spot. And it'd be one thing if they had dug a hole and they were, let's say, seven or eight points back. You know, right. then you might look at it and go, okay, mm, you know, you know, exactly. It, it, that then could be, you'd th- find me concerned, Mike. right? That would be the truth. But yeah. it is, and there is that feeling, and it's funny. I'm going to have to do the uh, pat myself on the back uh, routine right now. Uh, in a, in a business so very where, unfamiliar for you. Well, in a business where you know apparently you know it's it's who screams loudest um, that, that, <laughs> right. that matters the most. But I I did I went on at denversports.com back before the season began. I went on a, a coffee break edition uh, with with Rachel and and DMac and the guys and all that. And I said, you know, the Avalanche could easily finish third in their division, seventh in the Western Conference. And all I have to do is get in the playoffs, and I'll be fine. And people were like, what? There's no way that they could finish that low. What are you talking about? There's no way that they would right. ever finish. Well, you know what? There's a good chance that could happen. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm not going to sweat it because you're, you're absolutely right. If this team is whole, I don't care where they finish in the really, Western I Conference playoffs. I, I, I don't care at all as long as they're whole. I'm, I feel the exact same. As long as they're together, they're still the best team in the NHL. Will they, will they have to go on the road? Yeah. Will, and, and certainly I think there's something to be said about starting playoff series on the road. You'd like to start at home and get that vibe. You have less margin for error. But at the same time, they went 9-1 and one on the road in the playoffs last year. So, I, you know, I'm not concerned too much about that. It, it would definitely be a longer playoff run. 16 and four in the playoffs last season, you know, tied, I believe the best run of all time is unprecedented. Right. So, so when you look at what they do this year, I mean, you're talking about a team. Can you imagine if you're a Dallas or, you know, um, in LA, let's say, or something like that, that has to face the abs in the first round like that after, after having a great season and they're fully healthy. That's a, that's a kick right in the pants, Mike. You're going to see a lot of teams, if that is a scenario that we're talking about here, you're going to see a lot of teams really try to uh, manipulate the schedule coming down the stretch to try to uh, avoid the the abs. Let me ask you this, and Matt Smith joining us here on the Mile High Hockey Podcast, first one of 2023. As you look at the rest of the Western Conference, and here we are, you know, just about approaching the, uh, the midway point of the season. Wow, it's gone fast, halfway point already. 
Is there anybody in the West that you point to and say, hmm, they, they give me concern if the Avs were to meet up with them in the playoffs? Not really. Yeah. I'm being honest. Me neither. Not in the, me, me not neither. In the West. <laughs> I mean, Vegas, Vegas doesn't scare me, really. I mean, I, when they don't have back right now. When Eichel comes back, they'll be better, but I still don't get worried about Vegas. They They conquered that boogeyman last year. Dallas, they're a much better team than Dallas. Dallas plays harder, and Dallas is better than I expected them to be this year. But that would be a good series. There's no doubt about that. But Dallas doesn't really – the Avs should beat Dallas if they're healthy. Outside of Dallas and Vegas, Edmonton is going to be lucky to make the playoffs. Right. They are a bad hockey team. McDavid ought to get the hell out of Edmonton. He should not resign his next deal. They're a mess. Um St. Louis isn't going to make the playoffs, so you can you can scratch that one off the list. Winnipeg doesn't really scare me if the Avs are healthy. Winnipeg is dealing with injuries of them, you know, of their own right now. L.A. plays good defensive hockey. That would be a good series. But again, the Avs are better than everyone in the West if they're healthy. Yeah, Cal- Calgary line. hasn't stepped up. We haven't no, seen the, no. the NAS Calgary. effect Don't there with Calgary. Don't you remember at the beginning of the year you asked me about Calgary? I said, Mike, I think Calgary is overrated and overblown. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So then that that just kind of lends to the – and I wonder deep down, do the Avalanche know that? Do the Avalanche have those kind of conversations privately? You know, and do they they take a look at the – the, the competition in the Western Conference the same way we do. Come on, they're they're human beings. They they can't help but but take a mm-hmm. look and probably have these same kind of conversations. I got to believe management has these same kind of conversations, and I think it factors into uh, how they they handle injuries and and how they bring guys back and maybe some of the patience that they show, knowing what we just talked about that that who out there in this conference is going to beat them if the Avs are healthy and whole come playoff time. Let's just say they're in the spot they're in right now come the trade deadline. I think it's March 1st or March 4th or something like that, beginning of March. If they're in the same position they are right now, I would still feel just as confident as them making the playoffs if they're a point or two out of the wild card. Now, I think they're going to get healthier by then, and certainly if they're healthier, then they're going to start to make a little bit of a climb up the standings. They're not going to lose more games. They're just too good. There's too much talent on the ice. And you're, the one, I will say, here, here's what I am concerned about. Yeah, I was going to okay, let me and let me throw this out there because I did want to. Is there anything about this hockey team that you're worried about? Yeah, there, a little bit because Georgiev has had to play behind an AHL team for, gosh, I want to say 15 to 20 games, primarily. Right, you're, you're talking about a, a, a kid who started the year red hot, red hot, and then had had to. You know, the one thing the Avs haven't been great at this year compared to what they were last year is zone entry and high-danger chances. They've allowed more than they allowed the last two years. That's, that's undoubtedly. But you're also talking about a situation where you've had to play Sam Girard in your top four significant minutes every night. You're going to give up a lot of scoring chances when he's on the ice. You go look at how many goals he's been on the ice for. It's a little ridiculous at this point. So when 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 I look at that aspect, it's not – surprising but it is concerning that they may have rocked the confidence of alexander georgiev with pablo Francois out of the lineup because he's on ir right now obviously i think they said he'll need a couple weeks maybe a month to come back is what the initial report was if if memory serves but it didn't sound overly serious i do think they've given him a heavy workload here 
and that is that is a little you know that is a little concerning because they don't have their their you know they're, they're not at full strength especially on that decor so he's seeing a lot more work every night than they probably anticipated him to so I am a little bit nervous about his confidence level right now because he's allowed some goals here lately that that he was not allowing at the beginning of the season so I wonder if he's not a little tired um, we'll see how that plays out. But again, there's tons of hockey left to be played until the playoffs. So as long as they can get some of these guys back, get Manson back, you know, uh, get Byram back eventually, that's another concern of mine, Bo Byram. I don't know what the hell is going on with Bo. They said it was a lower body injury, but he didn't miss any time in Finland. So it must have been something that bothered him after the game and then they had to address. I pray it's not a concussion. They say it's a lower body. I'm going to trust him there. Even though last year when he got his second concussion, they called it an upper body injury. And I said, what do you mean an upper body injury? It's pretty obvious what's going on here. And then two days later, he was taking a leave of absence for personal reasons. So I I hope that's not what's going on concussion wise. But I think you always have to be fairly skeptical considering hockey's lack of reporting on injuries. Um, And with Bo, he gave you the luxury to deal Sam Gerrard. And without him in the lineup, I think that is now called into question as to whether you can afford to move on from Gerard, which is a bit of a bummer considering he was going to be one of the pieces you look to move at the deadline with that cap number. But I think you're just going to have to ride this one out a little bit longer because you don't know what's going on with Bo. And if Bo doesn't come back, then I wonder if he's not also a candidate for long-term injured reserve but at the very same time, he's got no cap hit because he's still on his rookie deal. So, Matt, why are so many people in such a rush to move on from Sammy Gerrard? Because he's an awful defenseman defensively. He's a good offensive defenseman, but he's a bad defensive defenseman. And he just isn't getting better. That's, that's, that's all I can say. Expand, expand. What makes him a lousy defensive defenseman, in he's, your opinion? He's too small. He's not reactive enough. He doesn't understand how to play a two-on-one properly. And he's really bad behind his own net. And when you're looking at the avalanche right now for a team who struggles with getting trapped in their own zone for extended periods of time, which is very uncharacteristic of them and very weird. I think it's tied, directly tied to a lack of sense of urgency. Like they'll get, There'll be situations, and it happens almost every game, where – you know, uh, one of these one of these line pairings gets trapped on the ice for a long shift, and then you're talking about 45 seconds to a minute, but they're pinned in their own zone. We didn't really see that a ton last year. They were really, really good at getting the puck up and out of their zone, but they were primarily healthy along their defensive core for the most part last year, outside of Gerard himself being out of the lineup. And whenever he was out of the lineup, they got better defensively. So, I. I Look, a, a lot of there's there's this is a very divisive issue, but for Avs fans, there's a lot of Gerard fanboys who are like, "Oh, Sammy G, we love him. Look at how good he is offensively." Well, go look at go look at his offensive production. I mean, he hasn't done much this year. The the only thing that that he's been really you know valuable for in Bo Byram's absence is, is just helping to break out. But again that's not enough of a skill to outweigh the negatives that he brings to the ice. So for me, when I look at Gerard, it's positioning, it's sense of urgency, it's size and physicality. And I think it's hockey IQ, especially on that end. I think he understands how to jump up in the play, 
But as far as being a lockdown defender, he will never be that guy. And I think you just could find a better option at an overall all-around defenseman, which Bo Byram certainly is. But if he's not healthy, then you're kind of screwed. So that that part concerns me. I would say the biggest concerns are Byram and Georgiev at the moment for me. Yeah, if you're looking at Gerard strictly as, hey, you, you overlook the defensive problems because of what he brings offensively. So far this season, you're right, it's not there. 30 games, two goals, five assists. But I would push back on you a little bit. That yeah, I think what we're back, I think I think, what, me, I think what we're seeing right now in the NHL is this is that more and more teams are willing to overlook sort of wave the defensive deficiencies of their defensemen and look more at what they can bring offensively. We're just seeing a, a, a movement now. We're entering a new era, really, where I think teams are like we want more from our defensemen offensively and we're willing to overlook some of the warts that they may have defensively and I think that's what I think that's the the best case I can make for Sammy Gerrard is that there's a reason he got paid is that is that the the avalanche look at him with his offensive upside and they're willing to swallow hard and, and look the other way and pinch their nose at whatever defensive deficiencies that you have so eloquently pointed out why do you think that is why do you think that trend is in the NHL because you're seeing more and more defensemen who are just crazy athletic, and and it, it's almost a waste to just label them as traditional stay-at-home play defense. They can bring so much to the game offensively that it's a waste to to not use their talents that way. And so I think that's more and more why teams are saying, hey, let them loose. Let them go. Let them jump up in the play. And if occasionally we get caught shorthanded back the other way, okay, that's a trade-off we're willing to take. I got two words. Kale McCarr. Yeah. He has changed the game. Yeah. They paid Gerard before they even had McCarr. Now that you have McCarr and Paves, that's not Gerard's role anymore. Like, it's great that he can do that, but that's not the most important asset that he could bring to a team. The most important asset that he could bring to a team is really rock-solid defense. That's just the truth. But because the Avalanche are weaker in their forward group than they were last year, and that's something that we talked about in the war room. Everybody said that goaltending was their main concern, and I said, hold on, my biggest concern is forward depth. They do not have the type of depth and versatility, interchangeability that they had last year. And we're certainly seeing that as Bednar has been constantly playing, you know, you know, shuffling guys up and up and down between Denver and Loveland. So I, I, I would agree with you if Gerard were their number one defenseman. Gerard is there when healthy, Gerard's in their bottom six and now without Byram, he's on their second line. So I, I would agree with you if not for Makar and Taves. With because they have Makar and Taves that's not Gerard's most valuable asset. They already get that. Well, right? we're talking so, about two different topics here. I mean, the first topic was why does a guy like Gerard um, get paid like he does? I, I, I'm speaking to. But he an, got paid years ago. I know, but I'm. I'm but I, what I'm saying is, I'm speaking to an overall trend that is going on around the NHL. Now, you're talking specifically within the Avalanche and the role that he needs to play. I'll agree with that. Okay, because of what they got in McCarr and Taves. You need probably a, a more defensive defenseman, and Gerard doesn't fit that bill. I'm t- I'm just talking about why these right. guys who have but these I think defensive it's because of Makar. 
I, I think I think I think it was starting before that. But yes, McCarr definitely accelerated the whole thing. Yes, completely. I think it was starting before that. But when we finally saw a generational talent defensively, that changed the game. You're right. It started before that, where teams were really given the green light, and it was more than just slap shots from the blue line as far as offense from defensemen. But Kale changed the game in that regard, and he completely set a trend. That's why you see guys like Miro Haskinen in Dallas. Dallas brought in Pete DeBoer this year, and Pete DeBoer was like, no, we need to stop doing what Rick Bonus was doing with, and, and having Miro Haskinen play stay-at-home defense. This is a guy, look at what McCarr's doing. Haskinen can be our McCarr. Like, you're starting to see that. Quinn Hughes, remember when people were talking about Quinn Hughes as being one of the best young defensemen in the league? Look at how he looks right now compared to McCarr. I, I, I just look up and down, up and down the league, and nobody has a McCarr. And everybody wants a Makar for what he can do to you. So I do agree that it started before. I just think that it's not, it wasn't nearly to the degree it is now to the point where people are actually chasing that and trying to hire coaches and change their schemes to mimic what the Avs have done behind their you know, brilliantly talented offensive defensemen. We're basically saying the same thing. Yeah, right? no, but not, really not every team is sitting on a Makar. But I, I think right. the, other, the other factors that play in also – I think there are a lot of teams that get into the playoffs and they realize uh, we're not heavy enough. We don't we don't mm-hmm. play a heavy enough game, and so mm-hmm. they're looking for other ways to generate offense. Mm-hmm. And so the idea being, hey, if if we can't trust our our three forwards that are out there on on this particular shift to go out and get that greasy, grimy goal that you need to win playoff games, well, we're gonna have to try to find a way to get offense from other places and so let's mm-hmm. give these offensive athletic defensemen more of a green light a chance to jump in a chance to create some offense uh last point and we're busy with matt smith here uh, as we uh really really good uh addition here with the mile high hockey podcast really enjoying it and again we're nitpicking because you and i mm-hmm. both believe that hey this team is going to be fine and there, there's there's not a whole lot of warts on this this hockey team right now save for the injuries but in the interest of uh, trying to create a little controversy and debate, if, mm-hmm. if there's if there's something that disappoints you that, and I know disappoints me, is that the young veterans on this team and the minor leaguers that have been given a chance to come up and show what they can do, it, has it been disappointing from that standpoint mm-hmm. that the young Avalanche players haven't made the most of their opportunities? And it, it does kind of call into question is. What what is waiting behind this core group when it comes to uh, the rest of the organization? Yeah, great point. You know, before the year in that war room, I'll reference the war the war room that we had before the season again. I said, look, Alex Newhook is being asked to play every single night in the top six. That is a giant ask, and we're seeing that it's proving to be too much. And he's not on the level of some of these other guys to produce on a nightly basis. Now, he's had some good nights, but he's been very up and down this year. Comfort is the one guy who's on a contract here who has really stepped it up over the last month. He's now playing first-line center before McKinnon came back, and he did really well in the face-off circle and even started producing a little bit. So I, I have to give Comfort credit after a slow start because JT has really, really stepped it up, and they'd be in rough shape without him. But, yeah, certainly you, you have to call that into question. But we kind of already knew that their forward groupings, their prospects, you know, at the lower levels weren't ready. I think one of my bigger disappointments was the fact that Oscar Olausen was just so 
so raw. He was a guy that I had penciled in before the year as a Burakovsky replacement, but Bednar really does not trust him. He brought him up for one game, he played six minutes, and he went right back down, which told me everything I needed to know when you're talking about the Avs having to play eight minor leaguers every single night. So I think Oscar Olauson, who was their first-round draft pick last year, could potentially be on the trading block come March. Yeah, it's it's a little frustrating, but at the same time, they didn't really have a ton of those guys. It was Newhook and Comfer, and you know, outside of that, there it was supposed to be Cogliano and Helm and O'Connor, which I have no issue with either uh, Cogliano or O'Connor this year. I think Darren Helm taking so long to come back from injury was not expected. That's certainly been a little bit of a bummer, but at the same time, it's allowed them to see what they have in Ben Myers and and Charles Houdon, and Jean-Luc Foudy. And I think some good news has come, you know, some good things have come out of that. I think Foudy is a kid that showed you something that moving forward, you say, hey, look, you know, he's got some moxie. He's got some skill. He's shown that he can play a little bit at this level. So I would be pretty surprised if Foudy wasn't on their roster to begin the season next year. But really, I'm not overly concerned because I expected it and I don't think there are too many of those too many players that fall into that category and let's face it this is a team that we know is going to be active at the trade deadline and it is not a team that's going to uh, need or be looking for youth to come to the rescue uh, for the Calvary they'll they'll do that exactly. the, they'll do that through the trade deadline if they you if know they who need could to. come to the rescue uh, well, Patrick Kane. Yeah, well, you, I know how you feel about You know Patrick who Kane. could come to the rescue? Number 88. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it be Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Ryan O'Reilly. No, it's not going to be O'Reilly. Why no. not? Because he's washed. He's not washed. He's washed. He's not I've been, washed. I've been, watching him, I've been watching him pretty closely this year. He's just slower. He's lost a, a real step. I have genuine concerns about him being able to skate with this group. I really do. All right. Well, that's a. I'll tell you what. Yeah, that how about is, Bo Horvat out of Vancouver? I like that. Oh, that's the name. Hey, we'll, we'll watch him tonight, right? Uh, yeah. Get a chance to uh, do a little scouting tonight. Well, I appreciate it, Matt. Always enjoy chopping it up with you. The uh, first of uh, many times you'll uh, appear on the Mile High Hockey Podcast between now and what we think will be a long, long playoff run deep into uh, May and June. So thank you, my man. I appreciate it. R E L A X. Relax, baby. Thanks, Mike. Happy New Year. <laughs> there he goes, channeling his uh, inner Aaron Rodgers. That'll do it for the uh, Mile High Hockey Podcast. As always, uh, appreciate uh, Matt Smith for joining. Also, the uh, guys behind the scene that work on this to make it happen. Uh, John Simmer, Richie Carney, appreciate all of them. Appreciate you for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the Mile High Hockey Podcast.